Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I'm guessing I'm not the only person who had some crushes in elementary. I won't ask for a raise of hands because that's probably not a cool thing to raise your hand about, but most of us had at least one crush in elementary, and uh, maybe you had a situation like this. In fourth grade, I had a crush on a girl named Stacy Macklin. And I wanted to know if she liked me back, and so I wrote a love letter. This is not the original. This is a a duplicate, okay? This is a a recreation, if you will. In fourth grade, we had this class post office system where uh, whenever the teacher would turn to draw on the chalkboard, we would pass notes around in a frenzy, and, and we had it down to a science. You know, we knew exactly in her rotation when to, you know, pay attention again, so... I was at the other side of the classroom, and so I wrote up this note, Dear Stacy, do you love me? Please check one box, yes or no, John. And uh, off it went through the class post office system, and I watched when it made its way to Stacy, and she opened it, and I just remember the anticipation in my little fourth grade heart as I thought, oh my goodness, is she going to check yes? Is she going to check no? And, and I watched her check and I had to wait for it to come all the way back. Do you guys want to know what she checked? She checked yes. It was, it was a great day. Great day in my fourth grade, uh, <laughs> fourth grade career. But can you relate to that feeling? You know that feeling where you, you like someone and you wonder if they like you back? I want you to really be honest right now about your relationship with God. Do you think he likes you back? I don't mean your church answer or your correct answer. I mean your heart answer. Do you feel like God likes you? Do you feel like God loves you? That's the question we're going to wrestle with today. How can you really know if God loves you? In fact, not only this week, but the next three weeks after this, we're going to be answering this. There are a number of answers to this question. And I'm excited to uh, introduce one to you today. And really, the most important thing about God's love uh, is something we know, perhaps more than we feel. And it's summarized in Romans 5, verse 8. It says this, God demonstrates or God proves. He displays his love in this. That even when we had our backs turned to him, we didn't care about him, we weren't seeking him, he chose to come into our world, to humble himself into a human body, and he allowed himself to be wrongly accused, to be rejected, to be tortured, and ultimately to die on the cross. Why? Because he would rather leave heaven to be with you than be in heaven without you. It's the pinnacle, it's the ultimate display of God's love, and really that's what Easter's all about. And now we're, the week after Easter, we're saying, okay, that's beautiful. First and foremost, you need to know, have you chosen to believe that and receive God's gift of salvation? 
For some, the moment that God opens your eyes to that, you feel it. You're like, wow, I need release from my shame. I need forgiveness. I need identity. Others, it's less emotional. And it's more just like, well, I I guess I do believe. Uh, In fact, just recently, I got to baptize a retired medical doctor who had spent the last two years, really, she said, John, I spent my whole life knowing there's a God, but is Jesus really God? And it wasn't such an emotional journey for her. It was an intellectual journey. And so depending on your personality, your story with God, you might be like, oh, yeah, I know God loves me because I've, I've felt it, and I felt it at the moment I believed. Others, you might say, I, just, I choose to believe he loves me, but I, I don't know if I could ever say I've really felt it. Have you guys ever seen uh, one of these really dramatic proposals at a sports stadium and there's hundreds of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people at least and you know the, the guy makes the very dramatic proposal and everyone's watching and everyone cheers and they kiss. It's this beautiful moment. Now you'd hope when a marriage starts with a dramatic proposal like that that 10 years later in their marriage that they're not just living off the fumes of that one moment. You'd hope that in the 10 years from the proposal to their 10-year anniversary, that they've each experienced each other's love in a number of other ways, in new ways, and that's part of a relationship of living beings. Each day, each week, you experience new things. Now, it's similar in your relationship with God. It begins very much like that proposal. The, The pinnacle is the day you receive Jesus as your Savior and you believe he died on the cross for me. I receive that. But it doesn't stop there. Every day of your life on earth, every week, God wants to reveal his heart for you in new ways. In new ways. Every good thing in our life is from him. And so God proved his love on the cross. You always can look back at that. And yet that was, you know, 2,000 years ago. And so how today do you experience the love of God? And this is a question we're going to answer this week and next week and the following week. In fact, I want to give you a little bit of an overview of, of where we're going. We're going to be studying God's heart for you. And each week we're going to honor some people in our community who exhibit or model the heart of God. So we're honoring teachers this week because it is the heart of God to instruct. That is, instruction can be the difference between life and death. When someone tells you, whoa, don't go that way, it could cost you or it could even kill you. Go this way, that's life, that's the heart of God we're going to see. And teachers, you all live out that attribute of God on a daily basis. Next week, Invite any police officers, firefighters, EMTs, 911 operators, helicopter nurses, anyone you know who's a first responder, invite them because we're going to be looking at God's rescue for us. You can experience God's love in your life, his care for you, when you admit the areas of your life where you need his help. Maybe you came from a family of alcoholism or of anger or of perfectionism. We all come from broken families. We all have brokenness inside of us. And we need God to rescue us in different ways. And one of the ways you experience God's love after believing in Jesus is saying, "Um, God, my family, it's been this way for so long. It would be a miracle for me to not repeat that to my kids and grandkids. But God, 
Will you transform me? And you'll see that he can do that. So next week, we'll be honoring our first responders. Two weeks from today, public service announcement. It is Mother's Day, okay? Husbands, dads, heads up, two weeks till Mother's Day, okay? And we'll be talking about the reality that God gives life. Life is from God. And of course, we'll honor moms on that day. The week after that, really looking forward to looking at how God heals. And we're going to honor each of these groups are people who, through the last two years, all the craziness in society and the world, these people have helped hold culture and life together. And I'm really excited three weeks from today to honor the doctors, nurses, and healthcare providers um, who've gone through probably the two most grueling years of your professional lives. And then four weeks from today, don't miss it, I will not be standing up here Nationally known comedian Michael Jr. will be standing up here. Normally people have to pay money to go to one of his shows. He will do a show here on Saturday, but he's also preaching all of our weekend services. So mark your calendars for that. Every one of these weeks is set up to make it easier than ever for you to invite people you know and care about so that they can also hear the heart of God. Well, I want you to think for a moment about your favorite teacher. You know, from kindergarten all the way up, your favorite teacher, who was he or she, and why were they your favorite teacher? Now, here's mine, my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Ford. Yeah, Mrs. Ford was awesome. You can kind of see in my eyes just the affection that I had for her. Uh, I was smitten. I was smitten by Mrs. Ford. I knew she was out of my league, (laughs) but I still kind of liked her. You know what's amazing Um, 34 years later, because I would have been five there, um, I remember how uh, accepted she made me feel. She just made me feel like I belonged. I I was the youngest. I was often overlooked and kind of ignored. And she was this person who just, she saw me and she acknowledged me and she valued me. And I'll never forget it. You know, Mrs. Ford was showing me the heart of God in a way that the best teachers in your life have. Psalm 32 says this about God's heart for you. It says this, God's speaking and he says, I will instruct you. So instruction, it's not like God wants to stand up and lecture you. It's like, you know, how do you have a good relationship? How do you do well in your career? How do you handle your money in a way that you get ahead instead of always being behind? How do you find peace? How do you find joy? How do you be right with God? How do you have eternal life? God wants to answer all those questions for you. And he says, I want to instruct you. I designed humanity. I created you. I know what will fulfill you. I know what will harm you. And I'm not in your life to try to make your life smaller. I want to guide you. I want to teach you in the way that you should go. I want to counsel you, and I just love that last phrase, with my loving eye on you. That reminds me of Mrs. Ford. You know that's the heart of God to you? If you've believed recently or if you're returning, I hope you know that God's instruction in your life, uh, it's not to limit you, it's to direct you into paths of freedom. You see, God's heart instructs. It is a a God-like thing to instruct another person in a way that protects them, in a way that fulfills them, in a way that leads them to their best. Jesus on earth was fully God in a human form. 
And so he's really the exhibition or the, the skin and bones of what does God look like? What would the heart of God look like if it was walking around? We can look at the life of Jesus and we see what the heart of God looks like. I learned something this week that Jesus, as he exhibited God's heart, that he was called teacher. When people would come to him, very often they would say Lord or Master. Jesus was called teacher, according to one theologian who counted it all up, more than any other title. He was known as a teacher. In fact, here are two examples in Matthew and in Luke of Jesus' teaching. Not only did people come to him and say teacher, but dozens of times Jesus taught. He taught individuals. He taught large groups. He taught all sizes of groups. It's the heart of God to instruct, not in a bossy way, but in a way that says, here's the path that leads to life. Now, there's an application for all of us, whether you're a teacher or not. There's an application for all of us when we understand that God's heart instructs, and it's this. We must each choose, do I want God's instruction in my life? Because if you don't want God's instruction in your life, you're not going to experience his love in this dimension. His love, that is his loving guidance, is available. And when you obey his guidance, you will see it improve your relationships, your finances, your inner life, your sense of purpose, your sense of identity. And as you do that, day in, day out, week after week, you experience the love of God. And you know, okay, not only did he die on the cross for me, but wow, I experienced God's love for me because I would have done that with my finances and I'd be in debt up to my eyeballs, but instead I did what God said and now I'm ahead financially. Or I would have done that and it would have destroyed my closest relationship, but God steered me the other way and he protected me. Wow, God's instruction is an expression of his love. And so that would be my question for you, whether you're new in your faith journey or you've been at it for years, is your heart right now in a posture toward God that is what we would call teachable? That is, God, I, I want your instruction. I trust what you say about my feelings, about my sexuality, about my finances, about my career. I trust what you tell me to do more than I trust myself. Uh, if, if we, when we don't trust him, we miss out on experiencing his love for us. Proverbs 2 verse 3 puts this really well. Cry out for insight. Make this the cry of your heart. Say, God, I want to learn from you. I, I'm, I will humble myself to acknowledge that you know everything and I don't. You know things about me that I don't. You know if I choose A or B, exactly all the implications that will happen in my life. And so I'm crying out, God, I want your insight. Give me insight into this decision. Give me insight into this emotion. Give me in insight into this desire Give me insight. God, I ask you for understanding. Scripture says elsewhere that God resists the proud. That is the people who say, I don't need your help, God. Maybe if I hit rock bottom, I'll, I'll, I'll raise up a quick prayer. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, that he might lift you up. He wants to lift you up. He wants to help you in life. And if you'll be teachable toward him, you'll experience his love in that way. Well, not only that, as you grow in Jesus and you become more like him, none of us become perfect in this life, but you become more like him, 
You've got the Holy Spirit in you as a believer, so you actually have a supernatural power source to do what's right, to serve others in ways that you couldn't have done in your own nature. As you do that, you become more like Jesus, and since Jesus was a teacher, you will end up teaching. Doesn't mean you have to stand at the front of a classroom, you don't need a microphone, you don't need the title teacher. I'm talking about moments like when you're putting your son or your daughter or your niece or your nephew or your grandchild, you're putting them to bed and you're talking about their day and they open up about a really difficult situation they had and all the feelings that they had and when you take the time to listen and connect and empathize and then you take the time to gently say, I've learned in my life that I can ask God to help me in things like this. Should we pray together and and ask God to provide a new friend for you at school or ask God to show you how to respond? And, And what are you doing in that moment if you take the time to say, God, how would you have me lead this person in my life? You're actually, you're teaching. Sometimes we call it discipleship. In fact, this is so central to what Jesus wants us to be doing that in Matthew 28, when he gives his final orders to his disciples, a well-known passage called the Great Commission. He says, here's what I want you to do on earth while I go to prepare a place for you. He says, I want you to go and teach. I want you to go and teach all nations. In fact, this has happened so literally that if you go to South America or Africa or Thailand and you find what's the best K-12 through Christian school almost every single time, you'll find that it was a Christian missionary who went there and said, oh, I need to teach these people to read the Bible, so I need to start a school. And that school has grown over years. And the best schools around the world, including here in the United States, places like Harvard University, were started by Christians who were living out this verse. And the implications, if we will go and teach people about Jesus, Not in a, I'm up here, you're down there, I know it all, you don't. Not that kind of thing. But life on life, I know you, I care about you. Here's how God has helped me handle that situation. I would encourage you to seek God in the same way. When we do that, it changes people. And as people change, enough of them change, it changes communities. It changes families, can even change entire societies. Now, because we're honoring teachers this week, I felt like I have permission to nerd out on history just a little bit. I'm going to try to do this in about three minutes, but I really want those of you who work in education um, to have a fresh breath of confidence about um, how Christ-like your work is. Not only that, the reality that kindergarten through 12th grade education as we know it. These are the big things of life, right? We're born, we have to go to school. None of us want to go to school as kids. Some of you did, but you're weird, you're good, you're better than me, okay? We don't think like, where did school come from? Where did kindergarten come from? Where does college and the university come from? Uh, When I was a skeptic of Christianity and a journalist, I wanted to trace what have been the greatest leaps forward for humanity and who 
created those? Was it Muslims? Was it atheists? Was it Buddhist? Was it Hindu? I want to look objectively what ideology brought about modern medicine, modern education, the end of slavery, which had been a global norm, etc. And in my nerdy research, I learned a lot about where our education system comes from. So this is one page of a, a book I wrote called Jesus Skeptic that compiles years of research I did on my journey from skeptic to believer. And I learned that our entire education system came from Christians. That sounds like a broad, sweeping statement. I wouldn't make it if there were not thousands of pieces of historical evidence and data that back it up. So here's one example. On the right, you see one page of what was the first textbook for schools in the United States. It was called the New England Primer. The New England Primer. And if you read the New England Primer, you'll see things like A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. B, heaven defined the Bible mind. But the point is, is this. When colonists started to really kind of create Western culture here in the United States, and I'm not saying that those people were perfect or that anyone in history has been perfect, but they realized they had fled religious persecution in Europe and they realized if our kids don't know God, our kids will get deceived by Satan. This was their whole paradigm. Whether you agree or not, their whole thinking was this. Humans are blinded by Satan. And unless their eyes are opened through education, biblical education, they will be slaves of Satan. And they'll continue slavery and all the other things that have uh, held humanity back for all of its history. We want our kids to do better. Uh, so we're going to start a whole new culture and so they passed a law, and this is any historian, Christian or not, if you ask where did public education in the United States come from, it came from this law called, get this, the Ye Old Deluder Satan Act. <laughs> I love that name for a law, the Ye Old Deluder Satan Act. What did it mean? Satan's a deceiver, and we have to teach our kids to read the Bible or else they'll be deceived and they'll just repeat the war and the rape and the genocide and the sin that has stained human history for as long as it has existed. And so their whole thing was, we want our kids to learn how to read the Bible. And actually, it was little villages around New England that said, we're going to make it a law that our kids, instead of working out in the fields, they're going to sit in classrooms and they're going to learn how to read the Bible. That was unique in human history. That had not happened before in human history. Did you know that throughout most of human history, fewer than one out of 100 people knew how to read? In fact, uh, even until recently, it was very common that only one in 10 or one out of five would know how to read. The reason we're born into a society that has schools that teach us how to read, you can trace it back to the New England Primer and the Ye Old Deluder Satan Act. Now, I'm just going to show one graph. I've limited myself to one, Okay. What is the literacy rate? That means how many people in a society know how to read. Again, these are not the things we normally think about. But if you're born in a society where most people don't know how to read, you're not going to have engineers who can make good roads. You're not going to have doctors. You're not going to have entire modern life as we know it. And that was the norm up until about 500 years ago. Now you see literacy, which means the ability to read, you see it skyrocket in these last 500 years. And you see it skyrocket in specific nations and specific cultures. Now, these nations are not any better because of where they are on the globe or because of the color of the skin that they were at the time. That has nothing to do with it. 
you know what the common thread is of all the nations that launched literacy? They were all going through a thing called the Protestant Reformation, which is they were all nations where the majority of the people were Christian, like 90-some percent, but where they said what the church is teaching us is kind of corrupt, it's kind of broken. We need to read the Bible for ourselves and get back to what Jesus actually said. So you've probably heard of Gutenberg, the guy who invented the printing press. He was a follower of Jesus. Why was he motivated to invent the printing press? He wanted people to read the Bible, not a bunch of other books, the Bible for themselves. Because he was convinced that if people could read the Bible for themselves, it would set them free. And if enough people would obey the Bible, it would create a more free and prosperous culture. Now what's interesting, and I'm not going to show you any more graphs, but if you were to look at a graph of human life expectancy, of increase of women's rights, of the end of open legalized slavery, of increase of personal freedom and prosperity, it will follow almost exactly from these same countries and then it spread to the rest of the world. Why? They learned to read the Bible and then they spread the Bible. Now, I'm not going to make my whole case in one sermon here, but I will say this. If any of this interests you, uh, the book that I put together called Jesus Skeptic is available at our Connection Corner, and especially if you're a teacher or an educator, I would love to give that to you as a gift. One of the chapters in the book is the history of literacy and public education, not based on opinion, but based on documents, and if you work in education or if you know someone in education, I just want to encourage you um, this is Christian territory. In fact, the word kindergarten came from a Christian pastor in Germany. Uh, it's a German word who said um, they had 12th grade down to first grade. And he said, let's start even younger. Kindergarten, uh, German word. And it was essentially like vacation Bible school is today in Germany. The first university uh, in the world, all the first universities grew out of churches. They're over in Europe, like Oxford, 1,000 years old grew out of a Christian cathedral, and you can trace all that. That's all in the Jesus Skeptic book, too. But let's just look at the first university here in the U.S., which was Harvard. Harvard is still ranked the number one university in the world. If you want the best education, according to secular researchers, Harvard is the place to get it. Where did Harvard start? It started with a pastor named the Reverend John Harvard, and he wanted to train other pastors. All this is documented. All of these documents exist, and you can read them. Uh, here's Harvard's original crest, and in the middle you see the three Bibles for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see the Latin word for truth. And to the left of the shield, you see the Greek word Christ, Christo. To the right of the shield, you see the Greek word for church, ecclesia. Harvard's motto originally was for Christ and the church. And that's why it existed. In fact, get this, if you were a student in the first 50 years at Harvard, uh, here was part of the student conduct manual. I'm going to read this word for word. Quote, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider the main end of his life and studies, which is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Now, obviously, if you go to Harvard today, it's no longer a Christian university. But Harvard is not an exception. Yale, Princeton, Stanford... In fact, every one of the top 10 universities in the world started as a Christian Bible training seminary. IU started as a seminary here in Indiana. The point is this. If you're to remove Christians from world history, 
you wouldn't have the university as we know it. Harvard was the first one, and then it planted Yale, and then they planted the state universities as we know them. They wouldn't exist without the Christians. Most of us wouldn't know how to read uh, unless history took some totally different turn um, uh, if it weren't for Christians who went to teach the nations. Now, that's a little bit of history, but today we're talking about how much it matters here and now. And the reason that I explain that is I want you teachers to know we can share all sorts of emotional moving examples of how you change one child's life. But I want to encourage you that you're not just changing one child's life, you're shaping society. When a whole society read the Bible, that society lifted to a higher level of freedom and prosperity than ever before. And I'm not saying it was ever perfect or ever will be until Jesus returns. But the people who've made the greatest gains were the people who've been educated at these institutions when they were teaching the Bible. So teachers, whether you're overtly teaching the Bible or not, as you shape minds, you're shaping society, you're shaping culture, you're shaping a nation. And teachers, we want to honor you today. Part of that is a video we've put together. Go ahead and take a look. I actually went into nursing for a semester, and I kind of realized, like, why am I doing this? You know, I'm called to be with kids. I love kids. So I ended up switching after that first semester and went right into teaching and have loved it ever since. Teaching is my jam. It's such a joy to come to work every day because of them. I just get to be me and I can be silly and I can be a positive influence and I just like the feeling of knowing that I, I make a difference. There are always certain teachers that you really connect with and that you never forget. And that's just kind of been a goal of mine. I think it's what the Lord has in store for me and I think that's my purpose is to teach and to coach, so. What are some of the challenges that you face? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> When you're dealing with teenagers, there's always lots of different challenges as they figure out kind of who they are and where they fit in. And, and then you add middle school into that and you add hormones into that and all the emotions. And some of the kids come from situations that you don't, I haven't experienced and you can't really understand. So being there for those kids, I mean, it's almost like being a counselor at times. I just really wanna help raise little humans into really caring, smart, big humans. So how do you think you would rate yourself as a teacher? I mean, I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting question. Uh, I don't I don't know if I would rate myself as a teacher. You know, I can always get better and I do things, you know, in the moment you get frustrated, you lose your patience, but I have found just through like past families and um, parents that you know, they would probably rate me higher. I think we're always our worst critic, you know, our hardest on ourselves, so. So we actually connected with a few of your students. Oh. We'd love to show you that. That'll be awesome. Right here? Yeah. One thing that I really love about her is she's super patient, and I would love to grow up and be a mom like her who just exemplifies kindness and the love of Christ through her teaching. I just wanted to say thank you to Mrs. Renner for always being there for me in middle school because that was a really hard time for me. When I moved here, it was really hard for me to feel like I was fitting in, but she really helped me like join the crowd and make new friends. To be as kind as her, be as compassionate. So you're a great teacher and I hope you'll continue to inspire the next generations to come. Hey Miss Otts, I really appreciate all that you did for me in the seventh grade and uh, I've taken a lot of the stuff that you have taught me 
not even just with math, but just in general in real life. I've taken all that stuff and put it into the real world. I really appreciate what you've done. I would say he's a de definition of like a, a real leader. And so I feel like a lot more teachers should look at themselves and be like, you know, I'm a leader in this community. He is an amazing coach and someone that I hope and aspire to be like and really become like. And Everybody looks up to you. You're like the biggest guide on the team, I would say. And uh, just keep portraying what you show every day. Even though we aren't in second grade anymore, she always gives us hugs in the hallway. It's just kind of cool that she can keep her medicine like really easily. When I think of Miss Warren, I think of like of a great teacher uh, who uh, like cares about her students even after uh, they're like gone, like. I hope I can always be as cheerful and as kind as she is. You always brightened up my day, and I just wanted to know that you were one of my favorite teachers. <laughs> Gosh, that means a lot. The world, actually. Oh, that's enough to make me cry. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> no, it's just, the job is hard, and it just, that's why I do it. <laughs> that's, that's my why, for sure. For kids to understand what it means to grow up and be a man of God and to lead in their home and to be a great father and a great, be a great husband, um, that's more important than anything else. And it's hard, it's really hard some days, but it's just all worth it in the end. I love that I can, you know, share God's love with my students. And I know every day that this is what God has called me to do and that I am uh, in the role that he wants me to be in and just hearing those words from the former students and students that I'm still in close contact with, that just really means a lot. So, oh, what a gift. That's a gift that I'll cherish forever. Gosh, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs>
and they're free and they know who they are and they're on a path, uh, a great path in life, there's no greater joy than that. And that's why Jesus left us here on earth. Well, I'm going to close by telling you about my next favorite teacher. And I don't have a picture of her, so I'm going to put Mrs. Ford up again. My next favorite teacher, uh, actually from kindergarten to 12th grade, my next, um, probably the most influential teacher in my life was my senior year of high school, my English teacher. Uh, I've, I've written five books now. Some of them have been national bestsellers, and I worked as a professional writer before I was a pastor. But all through middle school and high school, I got mostly C's and D's in English. And that's not an exaggeration at all. I never would have thought I could write for a living. And my senior year of high school research paper for the final semester, I worked so hard on it. And I was so sure with how hard I had worked that I would maybe, maybe get a B or a B minus. And I remember the day really well because our teacher handed out the papers and mine came back and there it was in red, D plus. And the rest of my class exited and I remember walking up to the front to that metal desk and talking with my teacher and it was a life-changing conversation. She said, John, I have, I have to give you a D plus because of our school's rules about grammar and how I have to grade you. Um, you still don't really get where periods and commas go. <laughs> and then she said, but John, I really think you should consider being a professional writer. And I said, what are you talking about? I just did my best and got a D plus. <laughs> and she said, well, you would really need to learn grammar at college. But your grasp and command of ideas is really pretty unique. I grade a lot of papers, and your ability, your way with words and ideas, you have something special. And it might seem counterintuitive, but I think you should really consider studying writing. And I did. I went and I majored in journalism. And then my first job out of college was journalism and wrote professionally. And I never would have done any of that. And I probably wouldn't be up here talking today because I still work with words, just spoken now, if it wasn't for Mrs. Bright, my senior English teacher in high school. I'm so grateful that at the end of the year when everyone was rushing out of the class and I'm sure she needed to pack up her desk and get home to her family, that she took the time to talk with a lanky, awkward, class clown distraction of a kid and show him something that he never would have seen in himself. Jesus said, I've come to open the eyes of the blind. And while he did that literally, I believe that it's also a metaphor that Jesus opens our eyes. He lets us see things in ourselves that we'd never see otherwise. And every teacher who truly loves their students, you're living out that attribute of God. So I just want to encourage you today I want you to think of yourself for a moment as the student with the D. Where do you have a D plus in life right now? Where might God be waiting to instruct you if you would walk up to his desk while everyone else is rushing out of the room? If you said, God, I don't get it. It's another D plus. I don't get it. I tried my best. God loves you by instructing you and saying, I see something in you that you don't see in yourself. Stick with it. Maybe, 
this could define you. Maybe this could be part of your legacy if you'll do it my way. Would you stand together and just let me pray this over you? Father, I thank you for your instruction. It's changed me. It's changed my life. Thank you for Mrs. Bright, my senior year of high school and what she saw in me that I never would have seen in myself. God, I thank you for every educator in our community. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them the heart of Jesus, that you'd bless and strengthen those teachers who are showing up to work as unto you. Would you give them just a perseverance, an endurance? Give them a deep well of love, not only from their own nature and wiring and gifting, but by your spirit within them, that they would love those students unconditionally, that they know that they are changing lives and families and society, shaping future leaders of a nation. Lord, for all of us, this week, would you help us to experience your love by obeying your instruction? For your ways are good and you set us free. We love you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.